Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to lead us in a scripture reading and a prayer. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Good and gracious God, I ask your blessings upon this time and this uh, radio program that Again, that we might draw ever closer to Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, um, that we might be placed in, remain in his sacred heart, um, filled with his love and mercy. Um, and so just bless this time with your grace and bless those who are listening today that, that they might receive a word from you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Okay, as I mentioned, I've got to begin this program with a very humble admission. And fathers, you may have to follow after me because I did in my email say, here's what we're going to talk about on Monday. It's going to flow as be an overflow of what I talked about on Friday. Friday is the first Friday in the month of June is this wonderful feast day of the most sacred heart of Jesus. But it's not. (laughs) I was wrong. I'm so focused on First Fridays as dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus that I I don't know where I got this idea that the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus was celebrated on the first Friday in the month of June. It's one of those movable feasts, so I can understand. <laughs> yeah, but fathers, you didn't say anything. You guys didn't say anything to me about that. I'm like, why didn't you mention this? Why didn't you say, Tom... So, if that's not the solemnity, you're wrong. That's not until June 24th, at the end of the month. It's the second Friday after Pentecost. Right. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So here, now, let me just have a not-so-humble admission. So I actually looked up today. I, you did send this idea that you're going to do the Sacred Heart. I kind of assumed, oh, it must be, why is he thinking that? Um, and, and so I looked in the Ordo. I said, well, I, you know, oh, is it, is it the Friday after Pentecost? And so I looked in the Ordo and said, no, it's not. It's June 24th. And so I didn't think necessarily you'd made a mistake because you don't really make mistakes. But <gasps> nice. I, Say that again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're talking humility here, I want to humbly receive the truth. Yeah, okay? I, said, I said the chances of that happening are so slim nice. that I just assumed that, oh, he has a devotion to the Sacred Heart and we're just going to go for it. Nice. Well, my listeners didn't feel that way. It did not take long before people started correcting me. People like to correct me, right? <laughs> not Maybe me, because I sometimes don't. I give correcting uh, kind of corrective things on, on my program. They were not shy to let me know. Tom, today's not the, the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus. I, I appreciate your devotion to the sacred heart, but that's <laughs> later in the month. Here's a link. Here's a here's a here's, here's a an picture. ordo. <laughs> Who are you? What, what what liturgical calendar are you yeah. following? Don't you, doesn't your parish hand out one of those calendars? <laughs> ouch, ouch! You would do that. <laughs> that was very. Uh, I'm. I was just like my mouth just dropped open, right? I just like, oh wow! And, but then I was really honestly wondering where did I get that from, and I, I I don't know where I got that from. All I can think of was somehow it was linked to the fact that June is dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus and therefore somehow it added a like a special you know that the, the feast was in fact connected to the the first Friday of the month but I was wrong so there you go wow uh, any, any fathers do you want to come in so father father Nagel already ad- admitted are you going to say anything father Lewis or are you just going to smile and say yes my son we'll yes, pray for you we'll pray for you <laughs> well I, I mean I can understand the the, the slippage. I mean, it is First Friday, which is an extension of the Devotion to Sacred Heart. It's June. I might have done the same thing. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, looking at that, be like, well, it's yeah, we could make it solemn, I guess. I mean, every every First Friday at St. Mary, part of our Eucharistic Adoration, we're praying the Litany of the Sacred Heart. I mean, we're infused with the Sacred Heart devotion, and and um, so I, I can I can see how the the slip happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, uh, I don't know if it's funny or not. Um, if if um, like when I ask people, oh, hey, you're having a baby. When's the due date? Like they'll, they'll kind of, you know, toss out a due date, right? And they'll say, oh, it's September 28th. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, or September 23rd. Oh, that's the feast of St. Padre Pio, right? It's like I, I've got a, like a, I think I've got a fair number of feast days like locked in the brain, right? Like I know what that feast day is. Like if I said June 29th, what's June 29th? Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul, right? So every, if you're around the Catholic world and you're going through the, the liturgical calendar, there are certain 
days that are just dialed in and you know what they are. But, but this is a movable feast. This doesn't yeah. have a date assigned to it. And, you, know, uh, uh, you know what I mean, a calendar date. Yeah, yeah, you're giving me, thank you for giving me um, some, some space there. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on your side. A, a way out. So I'm not quite as humbled as I, I could have been uh, otherwise. So, okay. Uh, I do want to ask, a, um, this is a, I'm looking for your insight on this. And that has to do with the difference or commonality that exists between the revelation to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque um, of the Sacred Heart. And then flash forward a couple of centuries, and here you have in the uh, early 1930s, um, St. Faustina receiving the, the vision of divine mercy. Again, Jesus. So if, if I said those two, I, I, I'm going to kind of speculate or just have you reflect with me live, fathers. Like, um, why did the Lord do that? What's, what's that all about? Because these two, these two revelations to these two holy nuns who've become saints— are now connected to feast days on the liturgical calendar. Um, why did God do that? Like, what's that all about? And what would be some of the differences in emphasis? Or what, what would read the mind of God for me? Okay, I'm looking for Father Lewis is looking at me like, okay, is there a right answer here? Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get movable here. But I'm just sincerely interested in your uh, any insights you have into the the those two distinct because I have a devotion to both. Yeah. And there's something in my mind, but I'm interested in your minds, fathers, about those two feasts and just reflections on that. Well, um, Father Nago would probably be able to speak into this more than better than I can. But you know, we know the kind of the historical and cultural context of Divine Mercy. It's it's at the cusp of World War II and the rise of Nazi Germany, and and the Polish nun in Poland is about to get hit real hard. Um, I wonder if the um, devotion of the Sacred Heart, if that revelation was made also on the cusp of some uh, major war conflict in Europe, you know, the centuries before. And if there is that, that connection, then Jesus manifesting and revealing himself kind of in these ways uh, to remind the world that, you know, the world is broken, but I love you anyway. And fear not, I have conquered the world, and I am the Prince of Peace. And here's to the great extent, you know, to which I... I share my love with you that I would have my sacred heart pierced, you know, by the soldier's lance for love of you for the salvation of souls. Now, if there's no war going on with the revelation of the sacred heart, then then I repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> a lot of humility going on today. That's this is good. I like this. This is good. This is a good post-Pentecost reality here. You know, I, I was thinking about this, preparing for today. I, I knew that you had wanted to speak with about the devotion of the sacred heart. and And I was thinking about what came up to me was um, the Divine Mercy devotion, because in some ways, there, it's not a repetition, but you can kind of paraphrase another saying. It's, it, these devotions aren't, they don't repeat, but they do rhyme. Obviously, there's, there is... Um, I like that, by the way. That's a really cool phrase. You they, made that up, right, Father? No, it's... it's, it's be it's, humble, be humble. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's history. It's, it's, it's already somebody else's quoted. It's, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Um, and I think that this devotion is the same thing. There's, there's, there's a clear connection here. And in fact, I, I honestly think, and I, I know that you both have this great devotion to the Sacred Heart, and I, I have this parish. I mean, I'm taking over to Sacred Heart Parish in Bellevue, so I, I, I need to get on that a little bit more. But in some ways, I think Divine Mercy is today's Sacred Heart. Um, I think you don't—the enthronement, I think, is fairly rare today, but I think there's lots of Divine Mercy images in, in people's homes. And so and I don't say replace, because I don't think that's true, any more than Fatima replaced Lourdes um, or Akita replaced Fatima. I, I think that they, there's this continuation, there's momentum. Um, and, and so I, but I do think that there's this, this connection. And I think the same thing the Sacred Heart did up until the Second Vatican Council. Now, again, it's still happening. I, you, you, know, you, you, you do do and still do enthronements and things. But I think that Again, in the popular Catholic culture, at least in North America and in Europe, I think the Divine Mercy is, is, has taken that role, so to speak, of, of just the, the trusting in Jesus' mercy and love, flowing from his heart. Um, again, there's that, the, both Jesus' you know, sacred heart and Divine Mercy are pointing to his heart um, and, and what's the, the grace flowing from there. So that, that was what I was thinking as you um, 
mentioned Sacred Heart as the topic today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot here, and fathers, you know, shoot it down. Another lesson in humility here. But <laughs> so in my own um, love for the Sacred Heart and a sense of like devotion to the Sacred Heart, it has for me been about um, the intimate and profound personal love that Jesus has for me. So it's very much focused on that he loves me and he is asking me to place my heart into his. And so it's learning that the littleness of my love can be swallowed up in the greatness of his love. And so that devotion for me has been deeply connected to Eucharistic adoration. Mm. So when I think about the, the sacred heart of Jesus, it's, um, it's a kind of almost overwhelming um, uh, point of contact with the way that the Lord has loved me in adoration. Mm. In contrast, the divine mercy devotion has been more about two other facets of God's love. The first is the Father. It, it, there's a way in which divine mercy is almost a way that Jesus, through his passion and his death on the cross, Jesus, I trust in you, is about how he is revealing the Father of mercy. And, um, and, and therefore, it's almost more profoundly connected to confession. And so when I read the diaries of St. Faustina, the most consoling and I think profoundly impacting thing that has come from that devotion is the concept of plunging into the ocean of mercy, plunging into this encompassing mercy of the Father that is like an ocean, completely surrounded and encompassed, that can cleanse and set free even the most hardened sinner to come back to life spiritually. So when I that that's for me the the, the facet of that devotion is that there's a way in which this moment in history or this past century was a was a moment that needed to know the the merciful father revealed by the son. So it's more about confession than adoration. So that there's my reflection. Okay. What do you think Father Lewis? I think that's I think that's uh I think there's there's quite a bit of a beautiful insight I think into that and um and it made me also think, you know, at St. Mary, we're, we're um, engaging in a um, parish year of healing. And one thing I've preached on a couple of times is when we have an encounter with the Lord, you can see this in the Gospels too, that that encounter that brings healing becomes the occasion to evangelize. Jesus did this for me. And how frequently that happens in confession. I've been set free and I've been healed and Jesus did this for me. And um, and so maybe another kind of contrast between the Sacred Heart and the uh, Divine Mercy is Sacred Heart is, is uh, kind of an inward focus, like Jesus is doing this for me, rest in me and uh, know that I love you. But the Divine Mercy, even the promulgation of it with sisters, like we got to get this message out there. You need to get the message out there. So there's an outward focus and being healed, you want to share that no- news with others. You want to go out there and share that news. So there's that kind of interesting contrast too, I think, that's related to what you shared, I think. I was thinking, yeah, it, it, what you said was interesting, Tom. I, I do think, I, I, at least I associate the Sacred Heart devotion. It really is about me and Jesus, and it's, it is very personal and it's interior. Um, I do see the Divine Mercy devotion as more outward, but by that I mean it's about the mercy for the world um, and for the whole world. Um, the, the idea is that this, I, I, and I do link it in in some ways with the, with Fatima, I, I do link it in with some ways uh, the crisis. Uh, you know, Jesus is talking about he he he's coming to uh, Faustina. It's it's clear from the diaries he's talking about end time situations. Um, that isn't I don't see that as part of the Sacred Heart uh, devotion as much. I, I and I think that I do agree with you that it seems like confession has a greater role, partially because on Divine Mercy Sunday. Confession plays, a, again, it, that's, it's mercy is 
through the sacrament. I, I, th- I think it's set up that way. So I, I do think there's a greater um, relationship there. But these two feasts, again, one connected to Easter, one connected to Pentecost in terms of when you celebrate them. There, there's this idea of, for me, the divine, they each have their own devotional pieces too, but the, the idea of that chaplet uh, that you pray together um, is, again, I, I just see the divine mercy as, as being more for everybody. It, it, it's supposed to be celebrated as the entire world, the entire church. So again, those are just kind of stream of consciousness thoughts that I have. No, that's tremendous. Thank you, both fathers. Uh, we're up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to pick up where we just left off there, Father, and um, propose another uh, kind of question for you all to reflect on together with me on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis, Father Kurt Nagel. Um, on this not Sun Monday following the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks on a Friday. All right, I'm done humbling myself. <laughs> it's ordinary time. This is an extraordinary deed. Um, just before the break, uh, the good fathers and, and myself were just reflecting a bit on the, the relationship between the Sacred Heart devotion and the Divine Mercy devotion. And I hadn't given a lot of thought to that, Father Nagel. You were, you were mentioning just before the break that Divine Mercy Sunday is intimately connected to the Paschal Mystery, right? It, it, right. The Divine Mercy Novena begins on Good Friday. Good Friday. And I always found that kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like, on Good Friday, all of a sudden now, I'm supposed to start a Novena to Divine Mercy? But, you know what? I'm not a saint. And uh, I trust St. Faustina enough to say, let's go. Hmm. So doing that novena during those days through the Triduum and then all the way to Divine Mercy Sunday, um, I, I think I would have guessed that Divine Mercy, I mean, the, the proper feast for the Sunday after Easter would have been the Sacred Heart right. more than Divine Mercy, um, thinking more about the, the Eucharist. I, I don't know. that, But so it's interesting to then say, no, there's a hook between Pentecost and the Sacred Heart devotion. Yeah. That's the hook there, and yet there's a different hook or intimate connection between the, the Triduum and Easter Sunday and Divine Mercy Chaplet. So I, I want to kind of continue to dive into that. I want to dig into that a little bit more. So, uh, Father Lewis, if you had to, if you were God and you got to associate Whoa. one of these devotions to one of these days, is there a reason why you would sense or see a fittingness between Pentecost and the Sacred Heart devotion and the Paschal Mystery and the Divine Mercy devotion? Do you have any sense about like how the, those fit in a, in a in a glorious or beautiful way? Well. Um you know, you made a reflection. You 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 shared your reflection earlier that the Sacred Heart devotion you've connected for your own personal devotion and prayer life to a Eucharistic adoration, and it is interesting that the Sacred Heart does follow the feast of Corpus Christi. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you know, more broadly, this is a great. I, this is one of my favorite times of year because we have five great solemnities in a row: Ascension, Pentecost, Holy Trinity, Corpus Christi, Sacred Heart, and um, and I like the the flow of that. Um, you know, we, we celebrate God the Holy Spirit, and we just celebrated the great, you know, uh, Passion Tide and, and the 40 days of uh, before his ascension of Jesus, and, and then we have Holy Trinity. We've got all three. Let's celebrate all three together. And then the great feast of Corpus Christi, and out of which that Eucharistic feast, the Sacred Heart. And I don't know if that was deliberate on the part of, you know, whatever popes, you know, arranged all that, um, but it, it's interesting. It does follow. It follows Pentecost, but in closer proximity, it follows Corpus Christi. So there's that other connection. And uh, Divine Mercy. I mean, you know, I I also think it's weird that the novena starts uh, on Good Friday, but also like you, you know, the Lord spoke to the saint. She is a saint. Who am I? You know, and uh, I'll do my. <laughs> You're best. the one who's not a saint. Yet. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't uh, usurp their their role here, but um, I mean that does make sense. I mean, we just you know we we commemorate it in liturgy our sinful battering of the Lord, and the Lord loves us anyway and gives us mercy even for that. So that that always actually made sense to me that that would follow after Easter and, and all that we celebrated there. And I was just thinking in terms of after Easter that, again, Jesus appears in, you know, in John 20, and the first thing he does is he establishes the sacrament of reconciliation. And 
um, this idea of forgiveness of sins that I, again, I associate with this divine mercy uh, uh, devotion. So for me, yeah, yeah, I, I get Good Friday seems like it's, it's, it's on its own. It shouldn't be the start of something else. Um, but I, I, I didn't even think about it in terms of, um, well, they're saints and I'm not. I just said, oh, okay. Um, I just, mine is not to question. <laughs> You're um, the dutiful son. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, but I, and I do think in terms of the Pentecost and Sacred Heart, and I always associate also the Immaculate Heart of Mary, um, because they're right next to each other. And this idea of, okay, so the Holy Spirit, um, I, I do see this idea of being filled with the fire of God's love. Um, that, again, that, that idea, if you want to see that Pentecost is, is that aspect of the Holy Spirit of being sent out, I, I get it, because the Sacred Heart seems to be more interior. But if you just want to th- think about it as being just, again, immersed in God's love till you're drunk with the grace of God, then I see the Sacred Heart uh, being more in line with that aspect or facet of Pentecost. I, I like that, Father. <laughs> so um, let me take the next step forward on that. Um, one of the insights, St. John Paul II, again, the great promoter of the Divine Mercy uh, uh, message and uh, chaplet in Novena, uh, establishing the feast day and making St. Faustina, having her be canonized, um, was that, um, and, and, he, and he said actually about his pontificate, he said that one of the reasons he believes that the Lord um, raised him to the papacy was for the sake of bringing the divine mercy message mm-hmm. to the world, yeah. which is a pretty powerful mm-hmm. statement. Yeah. Um, in his uh, encyclical, Dives in Misericordia, right, God the Father of Mercy, that uh, he said, unless people know mercy, God will be a master instead of a father. Mm. And it's mercy that turns a master into a father. And I, Father Lewis, you mentioned that you're entering into a time of healing as a theme in the parish. Um, is, is there any connection that you see between healing and coming to know God as Father and experiencing the merciful, tender, tender mercies of the Father as a, a critical part of healing for um, Catholics today. Mm-hmm. Boy, a lot I could say into that. You know, the idea that I, I had of kind of declaring this parish year of, with a focus on healing, you know, it was not just I woke up one day and said, hey, I got an idea, but it was really a fruit of uh, hearing people in spiritual direction and confession and and um, in a remarkable amount of, of suffering that people face because of some father wound that or whatever that has that has blocked them being able to have a stronger prayer life, um, specifically with God the Father, you know God the Son of course, you know and the Holy Spirit, you know giver of gifts, absolutely, uh, but not so much the God, you know God the Father, and uh, so just kind of ruminating and, and discerning all that, um, and as it happens, as we're recording this on first Friday in June, it's our first parish, you know we're going to have a parish mission each month for this year, and this is the first one is this weekend. And um, our speaker um, is speaking on father wounds, mother wounds, and kind of inner, inner relational, uh, uh, interpersonal relationships we have with people, the wounds that are there, the sufferings that we feel, and how God brings healing into that that can bring us closer to God. So, it all, you know, I, I see a, a connection there. If people are suffering in a lot of ways, and maybe the suffering is just unanswered prayers, why doesn't God? answer my prayers, and they'll direct that at God the Father, and Jesus is the one who's close to us, but God the Father is the one to blame when prayers go unanswered. So there's kind of a woundedness and a block there, too. And I hope that this, you know, these aspects of the year of healing will, will bring some healing into that. So I, I see a connection, definitely, in what people are sharing with me between uh, the, God the, the God the Father specifically and, and, and healing and mercy uh, that we need. I guess, and just, again, listening... I think I think there's something true about this idea of God the Father being seen. He said, uh, John Paul II said, Master. I was thinking like again the judge or, but again the stern. There's a sternness there um, that is to be feared, um, as opposed to a, a sort of a warmth and empathy that's to be embraced. And again, there are these multiple aspects of God, but I do think that the divine mercies 
is connected. So I, I see the divine mercy connection with that, um, as John Paul II said. But I do see because part of it is what what Father Lewis just mentioned. There's lots of wounds and hurts and fear out there. Some of them from these interior wounds or family wounds. But I think the whole world itself is something that's frightening and and seems like perhaps to a lot of people um, being run by some judge or some um, master figure. And again, I would link that up to the eschatological elements, the sort of the um, those kind of elements in, in the 20th century uh, revelation devotions that we've experienced. We talked about those a few weeks ago as well. So I think the idea of underlying the mercy of God is something that you probably say, this is going to be necessary because um, it's not always going to feel that way uh, at this point. So I think now let's focus on that concept of judgment for a moment, and then I want to come back to healing. That's one of the, the things I love about the Sacred Heart devotion is that Jesus, um, in his messages to St. Margaret Mary, talks about himself as a refuge. Mm-hmm. And a refuge is where you go to get covered. And when you think about and he says, where are you going to experience the refuge that Jesus is at your death? Now stop and think about that. Right? When most people think about death and meeting Jesus, they're thinking he's up on a throne and he is the judge and the book is open yeah. and he sees everything and you are exposed. Mm-hmm. You're literally uncovered, right? You're exposed. Mm-hmm. Versus if you found a refuge, you're literally covered. <laughs> you know, it's like, I got you covered. I got you covered. And, and so for me, the more that I can foster in myself and in my own family, run to Jesus. He is your refuge. And you can run to him literally towards death and through death to encounter your refuge rather than being so afraid of the lordly master who is judge of all, and you are exposed. And so um, I think that, that that can be something that really hurts. Now, maybe I have a sensitivity to that because of how I was raised. So you talk about father wounds, and when I think, uh, you know, I'm not here to talk about, oh, my dad said something mean to me. It was more that the way my mom and dad both experienced a an absence of loving fathering, tender fathering. My dad's dad died when he was young and was absent a lot because of his work, took him on the road. And my mom's dad was in the Second World War, so he wasn't present in those first four years of her, her life. So they both, and he came back a very stern, militaristic kind of father. So um, they couldn't give what they didn't have. And so there was a very much a sense of right and wrong, um, heaven and hell, and there wasn't a lot of refuge. There was definitely a sense of exposure, and, and um, you will be rewarded or punished, and the focus was on catching you and getting punished. <laughs> so I've experienced tremendous healing in adoration, just allowing the Lord to love me, allowing the Lord to love me, letting him come and experiencing him as a refuge, hiding in his heart, hiding in his heart, uh, allowing his heart to just love me. Um, and it's, the thing is, is it's not self-centering. It, it doesn't make me centered on myself where I'm all needy, but rather it gives me a sense of confidence to be able to stand up and proclaim this love with courage. Mm-hmm. I don't know, any comments on that? You know, the ability to to surrender to that um it challenges it challenges me the idea of that because I need to open myself up to a greater uh, self surrender and vulnerability that that uh, you know Jesus is saying I've got you covered truly a refuge and I'm trying to say back no I got this and um, and I don't got this obviously I don't I, I can't uh, I can't absolve myself I can't uh, uh, be healed of the sins that I've committed you know. Grace does that. I'm not the purveyor. Of, I'm an agent of grace as a priest, but I'm not the creator of grace. I'm not the giver of it. Uh, you know, and so I've got to surrender uh, to Jesus uh, to be able to do that. And uh, and that's tough for a lot of people. I suspect, especially for for men, but maybe for all of us uh, in some degree, um, that you know, it's a it's an invitation to greater self surrender and to just um, and to just let yourself be open so that He can cover you where you're wounded. I've likened it also to the experience of like you know going to a doctor. Imagine if we went to the doctor, and we only want to tell him those not so embarrassing symptoms that we're experiencing, you know, and then the doctor just can't 
can't bring healing to the wound that you won't reveal to him. He just can't because he doesn't know that there's the wound there and you're not acknowledging it. You're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable uh, to the healing that could happen. And um, if we could do that with our doctor, hopefully we can do that with our doctor of souls, Jesus. When I was listening, Tom, to what you said, what jumped out at me of the whole, the whole sharing was not so much the father issue but, or the parent issue, but the, you, the adoration. Earlier you had mentioned the Sacred Heart is just something that you associate with Eucharistic adoration and you know, placing yourself in the refuge of Jesus' heart there in the Eucharist, on the, in the monstrance on the altar. And I think there's something to that. I, I think, see, I also, I have, I have this, I associate the Divine Mercy devotion also with the uh, Eucharistic adoration. I think part of that comes from this celebration of Divine Mercy on Divine Mercy Sunday. It's usually taking place in the midst of adoration. But I think that, again, it's, it's a different feel. Uh, for me, I would agree with you that it seems like, for me, the Eucharistic adoration in terms of the Sacred Heart is a one-on-one, me going into a quiet, mostly empty church. A uh, few people scatter around the pews, but it's me and Jesus, and we're communing, and he's taking me in. And I think that the Divine Mercy adoration experience is more like Jesus is here, he's coming, and we're all, we're all together adoring him as church united and almost as people on the move to go out sort of idea. So I, I see this as, again, it's more like the, to the world and for the world as opposed to this in, in, you know, one-on-one experience with, with uh, Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So I, I, but I, I see both of them as uh, Eucharistic adoration feasts for me. That's, uh, that is, that's very true. When I've gone to sort of Divine Mercy celebrations on Divine Mercy Sunday, there's always two things going on, adoration and... Confessions, confessions, right? So, and there's typically that long line because everyone wants to go to confession uh, on Divine Mercy Sunday, and, and they get out a purgatory card. <laughs> Let's go, plenary indulgence. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, um, I'm in for that. My kids are all in for that. So, a cute, cute little thing that um, when we introduced the Divine Mercy Chaplet into our kids' lives, this is years and years ago, it became a preferred devotion. Anyone know why? Short. You can pray it in short. It's shorter than the rosary, <laughs> is what. <laughs> yep. That's part of the mercy of the Divine Mercy right. Chaplet. Right. I can't tell you how many times my kids during family prayer time, okay, kids, get over here, time to pray, and they start advocating with tremendous <laughs> enthusiasm. To Deep pray devotion. The Divine Mercy Chaplet, Dad, Dad, tonight, Divine Mercy Chaplet, come on, let's go. <laughs> let's there do three go. rosaries, a- kids. I know. Get out the rosary. Let's go. Well, the six right. decade rosary. Let's do it all. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, this is a longer conversation. Let's take a break, and I want to bring to you a conversation that I think is going to surprise you. It 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 literally left me speechless, and I want to bring it to you, fathers, and see what you think about it. Back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. And uh, reflecting on Divine Mercy and on the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and this month dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is all about this intimate personal love of the Lord. Um, my kids, I had, um, I had my freshman in college at Franciscan, my senior uh, at the Oaks, my sophomore and freshman at the Oaks, and my third grader at the Oaks. They were all together in the car driving home. And we were talking about, I don't know, we started talking about the second coming of Christ and, and, and the uh, different aspects of that in judgment. And then my senior said to me, Dad, you know, growing up, you never talked to us about the personal love of Jesus for us. And I'm like, what? Like, you and mom, you guys didn't talk about how much Jesus loves us and how we want to, how we ought to have this relationship with Jesus. And Mary Catherine jumped in. She's a freshman. Yeah, at Franciscan, oh, you know, we've just really been able to grow in that personal love of Jesus. And Ariana's like, yeah, you know, in, in in our school, we're reading the scriptures all the time and we're learning how to enter into God's word and how God's word settles in our hearts. We come to know the Lord's love. And John Luke jumps in and says, yeah, all we did was we prayed the rosary and just kind of got for And I'm like, I was stunned. It's literally stunned because you fathers know me. It's like, is there any message I talk about more than the importance of coming to know Jesus Christ in an intimate, personal, profound, and life-giving way? 
and how Carrie and I are conscious and intentional about fostering, promoting, throwing our kids into, taking our kids to places where they will have set up for them a, an opportunity to encounter the love of the Lord. So I just took it in. I wanted to understand how could they say that? How, how is it even possible that that kind of statement could come out of their lips? And I just said, you know, you could be right. That there, I'm sure there's something true in there. But then I said, well, what about, um, what about quiet times where I would say the Lord is present and I want you to be open to him and that Jesus is going to come to speak to you and you can learn to discern in, in a more contemplative mode. Yeah, yeah, that, that was nothing. That didn't work. And I said, well, what about all of those times we would regularly take you to adoration? And I'd say, that's really Jesus. And ask him to open yourself to him and he'll love you. Yeah, 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 that, did, that didn't work. That was a, I'm thinking, what about all of those retreats? How about all those families times that we had come over? All those? And they're like, yeah, 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 none of that. And I was flabbergasted. And, and I've just, I've been left pondering this idea that what is received is received according to the mode of the receiver pondering that there are different kinds of soil and the seed gets sown on different kinds of soil. I've been pondering that there are different ages and stages to the growth in faith. I've been pondering that just because you say something doesn't mean that they hear it and pondering that they hear it to the extent that they can and even that they don't remember that they, in fact, heard it because they didn't know how to hear it, and it's only because now they have experienced the love of the Lord for themselves in a way that the light has come on, and now in the light of this new relationship that they have with the Lord, it casts a light on everything, where now they can actually hear the words that were spoken to them, and compared into the past, the words that were said to them it wasn't able to be received because they hadn't experienced it. Okay, there are a whole bunch of <laughs> things I just threw out at you there. What do you think about that, Father Lewis? I think you're right on. You know, the the whether or not a message is received depends as much on the receiver as the one as the one giving the message. And you know, on the one hand, you know, it's not maybe not lack for trying on your part. Of course, you know, of course, this is a central message to everything that you do. You know, as far as you know, how I how I interact with you anyway. And um, and who knows? But that every time you try to bring up, it was like you know a tap on the rock, and then they go to their respective schools, and that last tap from someone else's hammer is what breaks it open. And so what they're saying is, how come you were never able to tell us this in such a way that we were able to receive it this way? In our humility, we got to just say, you know, here's humility again. Like you know, sorry, my bad. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but. Uh, you know, thanks be to God that they did experience that, and um, and now the things that y'all do and talk about as a family is 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 uh, heard and received and celebrated in a new way because because they've had that encounter. You know, that's the thing. It comes, and I have to deal with that as a priest sometimes. That I'm hoping that I'm laying seed out there, and who knows if someone else is going to be able to to uh, to bring it to you know make it germinate and bring it to growth. And you know, they'll come back and they'll say maybe something to me like, "How come you never said this or did this for us?" And I'm like. <laughs> I thought I did, but it was because it happened for you elsewhere that you've you've received it, and um, and you can engage your faith on the on the deeper level, and and I try to journey with them at that point, uh, you know, as well, and um, and we just got to realize, you know, different strokes for different folks. How I speak about things, how you speak about things, and and how we present things, it's just not going to be for everybody. But someone else along the way uh, can do what maybe we just weren't able to, but. Um, Anyway, I think you're I think you're doing a fine job, Tom, with your kids. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Uh, I just that's the only reason I'm saying all this is just to hear that from you, Father. Thank you. So <laughs> I was Father gonna, Nagel. I was going to say to welcome to my world in the sense of some, sometimes <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. This sometimes is what I, I was wondering, sometimes I, I people do as, as Father Lewis say they'll come up to you. Why don't you ever preach about X? And you, you're my well, not your my immediately. Um, brain goes to well. Let's see. Haven't I pre- didn't I say that in that homily? Didn't I do this? Didn't I? And for whatever reasons, maybe they weren't there. Maybe they couldn't hear it. Maybe they didn't hear it. Um, so it's not an unusual experience, I don't think. But I, I think when I I try to take away from it is to explore, to go deeper with the kids and say, so how how did you hear this? Um, you know, so what makes how was that message? You know, 
it's obviously touched you somehow here, whether it's the Oaks or Franciscans or whatever, but it, it, something got through. What was it that got through? It'd be interesting to just to find out what, what method and mode did uh, penetrate at this particular time and just see what it was. Yeah, well, and it's it's so fascinating. I, I and I did a, a a program on this. So folks that are interested in hearing sort of the fuller story, you can go back to mycatholicfaith.org, click on the program last week, where the, the title of the program is something like "Tom can't believe what his kids just said to him," kind of question. I think it was like on Wednesday of last week. Um, it was fascinating because, for instance, John Luke, he's my freshman. Um, we went to mass last week in Priest Lake um, at this parish, and there was a um, uh, a priest there, African priest, um, who preached. This guy was preaching and saying, Amen, Amen. And he would sing a song, everybody would sing with him and repeat it again and again. And afterwards, John Luke said, Dad, that was the best Mass I've ever been to in my whole life. I'm like, What? What happened? <laughs> Where was I? And it was more about what he was able to receive mm-hmm. at that moment from that priest. Rather than an objective evaluation of what's the holiness factor, what was the quality of the preaching factor, and all that, it had more to do with the receiver and the readiness of that soil. And so I think that it's one of these things where I, there's a lot more reflecting I'm going to do on this. And, and to your point, Father Nagel, it's going to be worth digging into. I, was, I really made a big effort to just listen to them and not be defensive but like I raised something to them, They're like you just made us pray the rosary all the time, and I'm like, and and we didn't get anything out of it, and and then I said, did I? And, and then before I even could say anything, Mary Catherine said, and I know you said we need to reflect on the mysteries as a way of going deeper to make it real to us, but that didn't work, and I'm like, mm, okay, now did you hear what you just said? Do you want to reflect on that anymore, right? <laughs> or are you just going to settle for? the the standpoint of you just you were and i think there was twice in all of my growing uh, our raising of our kids twice where we said if you don't pray this rosary well enough you're going to be punished and the punishment is you're going to pray another rosary and so they have used that against us ruthlessly <laughs> regularly to say even you considered the rosary a penalty not as a gift so parents, don't do that. Okay, <laughs> Do not use the rosary as a penalty if they don't pray the rosary well. So, okay, it's good. I'm feeling healing. <laughs> I, I feel like this, there's healing occurring here, fathers. That, that's not a bad thing. All right. Um, any final comments on that before we go to a break, Father Lewis? No. Okay, good. I think you summar- summarized it well. All right. Parents, be at peace. You're sowing seeds. They take root in their own time, in their own way. Trust in the Lord. And, and what Carrie's point was when I told her all this, she said, praise be to God. Praise be to God that our kids are talking about uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ as a living Lord. Thanks be to God. I, I don't care what they say about how we raise them as long as they are having a sense of the fact that the Lord loves them and they want to critique us for not telling. I don't care. As long as they know that Jesus is the living Lord and he loves them, amen. So that's not a bad thing. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. We're still in the introduction of our program. (laughs) Father Lewis almost spit up his coffee. Um, We had some quotes about the Sacred Heart, but I want to go someplace else with the program because the Spirit is leading me today here. Good Fathers, yesterday was Pentecost. Uh, I know we're anticipating it on Friday here, but for all the listeners, it was yesterday. And one of the things that I was challenged by my first year in the seminary was developing a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not with God the Father, not especially with Jesus. That ten- He tends to get, you know, the the... The, the primary focus when you think about a personal relationship with a person of the Trinity, but the idea that, no, you can develop, you can foster distinct relationships with the persons of the Trinity. It feels like to me that the person of the Trinity who gets the least amount of focus is the Holy Spirit. And the idea of approaching the Holy Spirit 
and nurturing a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is the relationship with the member of the persons of the Trinity that seems to have the less development in terms of like content in our in our tradition among the great spiritual writers and the idea of how do you develop that um, relationship seems to be less at hand in terms of easy access points in terms of things like that that's my idea but I, i'm going to just open that up personal relationship with the holy spirit you heard what all i said father go <laughs> for me um i don't think you know Harkening back to, uh, I think, last week's conversation, things that were not talked about enough or taught us enough in seminary, uh, and a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is one of those, didn't come up in spirit direction. But my my second-year priesthood, so my first year as pastor in um, summer 2012, um, I was uh, transferred up north. The chief of the, uh, the parishes, there were three of them, the chief of which is in the town of Chuila, and it was the uh, St. Mary of the Rosary. But one of the other churches is called Holy Ghost, and um, and you know how many parishes are called Holy Ghost these days? If they haven't switched after Vatican II, they'd be Holy Spirit, I suppose. But it remain retained that name. And um, and I, I've kind of you know decided. Well, there's got to be a reason why I've been sent here now, and this parish is called Holy Ghost. And I just happened to find in the rectory where there's all kinds of Father knows. You know, wherever you move to a new rectory, there's eons and eons of priests of the past that have left their stuff there. So you got to sort it all out and. I just ended up throwing a lot of it away. But I was going through a lot of this stuff, and there was a devotional book for a novena to the God, the Holy Spirit, that I thought was beautiful. And I, I used it um, uh, as I was settling into the parish, and then it kind of became a monthly devotion where I, I uh, like, as an act of consecration myself, and whatever comes up each month, the first nine days of the month, I'm praying a novena to the Holy Spirit. So it kind of became like this supernatural organic growth uh, for me. Um, that, uh, but otherwise, you know, and, you know, uh, so anyway, you know, sharing that with parishioners and, and so on, it's an interesting point you made that not, a, you know, the spiritual writers haven't spoken to this. And I think a lot of, uh, for me and a lot of people I know, um, something that may be a block to people wanting to foster a relation with the Holy Spirit is we hear about the charismatic renewal movements and so on. And we don't know what that quite means, but we hear or we've seen the stereotype about people being slain in the spirit and that, either comes across to a lot of us, myself included, I must say, either as scary because it's unusual or just silly because it's unusual. And is it authentic? What about emotional? Emotional. Oh, yeah. Or, or yeah, it's caught up in the emotions, but it doesn't seem to produce, you know, go beyond that. And I'm not saying that it's inauthentic, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, involved in charismatic renewals are, um, you know, kind of aghast if they're hearing this, that I would say this, and, and I don't mean offense, but... Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, I think there's a lot of that perception or misperception out there, and that may be a block to a lot of people specifically to seek out a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I was thinking just in terms, what's springing to my mind is that, that mass at Priest Lake you were just talking about, and that the priest who sounds rather charismatic um, in the sense of the way he preached. And I do think, I think there's something very real there in terms of. I think, again, I wasn't there, I don't, and I don't know your son the same way, you, obviously you do, but um, he said, when he said that was the best Mass, I, it has to, I suspect has something to do with how he, uh, the celebrant celebrated and preached. And so I do think there's some power there in terms of the Holy Spirit and the charismatic um, movement and the charisms themselves. And so I, I was introduced to Canta Malesa, the now Cardinal, I guess, Renero, um, I think Come, Come Creator Spirit's a great book for this, to, just to introduce people to that whole theology, pastoral and spiritual theology of the Holy Spirit. So I think there's lots out there that it's very rich, and it is powerful um, if we, you know, again, there's, with anything, there's abuses and fringe, but, but there's something very solid and, and uh, just traditional about the, um, that Spirit-led movement. For sure. In fact, Father Lewis, um, maybe in fact the Holy Spirit's going to, nudging you because the reality of healing, if you said, cast back the last 50 years since the Second Vatican Council, if there have been movements that have fostered healing in the Catholic Church, where are they traced back to? I would say the great majority of them have their roots in the Catholic charismatic renewal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, folks who have been um, formed or touched in the renewal. And in my own experience, you know that I've got a big background in the Catholic charismatic renewal, that um, it is healing has come. Um, in our tradition, 
one of the major places of healing and transformation is in adoration. It's the quiet work of allowing the Lord, like on the operating table, to get in and transform us. And that's one. The other is ministering through the body. And so the body of Christ praying. And so you have these charisms of healing. Of course, the sacraments of healing are I'm putting off on the side, right? I'm talking about healing of memories, physical healing, um, healing of emotions, um, things of that nature. It's ministering. That the body of Christ, Christ is working through his body to minister healing in signs and wonders and deeds of power. That that happens today. And those that have an expectant faith for that are almost without exception coming through the Catholic charismatic renewal. And so, uh, who knows, Father? By the end of this year, you're going to have your hands raised <laughs> talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, my last comment, though, is I love what you said. I was, it, was, uh, it was beautiful, which was you were praying a novena to the Holy Spirit every month. And one of the neat insights that comes from praying a novena to the Holy Spirit is almost without exception, on the nine days, at least seven of them are focused on what? The, the uh, seven gifts, of the, the sevenfold Spirit. gifting of the Holy Spirit, and that actually is the key, at least in Aquinas, to growing in a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Where do you come into personal contact with the person of the Holy Spirit through His gifts? Mm-hmm. So the one who is the gift in God, the gift sent from the Father and the Son, comes into personal contact with you in your heart through the gifts that He gives you. So if you want to nurture. A personal, I'm saying you listeners, if you want to nurture an intimate, personal, profound, life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit, he's in there. He's already present and at work, ready to be in contact with you through the gifts he's given. All right, fathers, you have 30 seconds each to finish the program. What's your final word? Uh, my final word would be, you know, uh, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage listeners to look those up. What is that list that we can all memorize, but what are each of them about? And their gifts. If we perceive that we might have a lack in one of those gifts, then turn to the gift giver. Ask me to ask the gift giver, strengthen me in the gift of wisdom, strengthen me in the gift of counsel, whatever it is. If we perceive that lack, ask the Holy Spirit to be strengthening you in that, in that lack. And I guess I would just say, just like Tom's children and stuff, do you have a personal, loving relationship with Jesus? And is, do you know that's the most important thing? I mean, if you haven't heard that the right way or the way it resonates or something, just keep on looking because it's a truth. And just keep on looking and keep on, again, praying for that experience. And, and again, my hope is devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, right? You can have an image in your home, right? We never got to enthronement. That was point one in our outline. Oh, well. We never got past the introduction, folks. I think this is a record. Not even getting beyond the introduction. I did mention the first point, though. You did. So in the last seven seconds of the program. All right. Thanks so much for listening, folks. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.